I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is coming off! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly on what is now week 10 of the weirdness. Simpler times on this day in 2006 as Munster won their first Heineken Cup. Simpler times on this day most years, mind you. Hope you and all of your loved ones are in good health mentally and physically. And I hope as well that your hair, if you have it, is in a somewhat manageable condition. I just caught a glimpse of myself there as I rounded the stairs to my podcast nest here in Cork. And holy Christ, I look like a goblin. Nevertheless, we look ahead again today to brighter days, but with a fair bit of reflection as well on the most interesting tidbits of rugby news from the week. Joining me to do so, as always, is a man who I last week described as the writing pride of County Waterford, Ireland. The writing pride, only for one kind listener to inform me that it sounded like I'd called him the riding pride. So profuse apologies to your (laughs) wife and a warm welcome to you, Murray Kinsella. How are you? Thanks, Gav. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, my hair isn't great. Ah, it's actually decent. My brother did a, a solid job on it with the the old razor, so I'm happy enough. I was a bit down earlier on because I got a notification from Google calendars reminding me that I needed to fly over to Marseille for the European Cup finals weekend. Um, and then I checked the weather and it's 26 degrees over there. So uh, it would have been nice to be over there. But I'm looking out the window at the sunny southeast. And as usual, the sun is splitting the stones. So happy enough. Yeah, it's not a bad substitute. We're delighted to be joined also by a man who wouldn't have a great deal of time for your hair problems. In fact, he doesn't even have time for hair. Bernard Jackman, how are you keeping? Yeah, I don't um, I don't have any stress at the moment. I'm, I'm coping just fine with the, with the lack of barbershop. You know. <laughs> we'll kick off with the biggest news, I think, from the Irish rugby sphere this week, which was the retirement of Tyler Blindal. And often these segments, in fairness... I'm aware it can be a little bit wishy-washy. You're just sort of paying tribute to a player and wishing them well and whatnot. But I think Blyndal is certainly somebody we will see and hear more from, whether it's at Munster or elsewhere in the future. Um, a decent innings for him, Murray, and obviously extremely blighted by injury. But the streets won't forget that 2015-2016, or sorry, 2016-17 season where he put together probably his finest body of work. And while the term world-class is, is overused in rugby, he was certainly playing, I think, to an international standard for Munster that year, one player of the year. Um, how do you sum up his sort of legacy, if you want to call it that, with the Southern Province? Yeah, it must be really frustrating for him and, and tough to step away with an unfulfilled career. He's obviously achieved a lot playing for the Crusaders, um, and obviously with Munster and he was in an Ireland camp at one stage in 2017. Joe Schmidt brought him in even before he was eligible just to kind of get him used to that environment. Um, but he never really got there and he never got that run apart from, as you say, 2016-17 when he had 27 appearances and managed to steer clear those injuries. He was excellent for, for the large part of it. You think of moments like that try uh, against Glasgow the, the day after Anthony Foley's funeral where he glided through the defence, a superb bit of vision and uh, even physical talent when he was probably at his fittest but apart from that he had real issues that neck obviously nearly prevented him coming over in the first place he he had a serious injury just before he arrived over delayed his arrival then there was a quad issue and then the neck has really bothered him the last few years obviously he's taking the medical advice and that's a a great thing to do but it'll be tough to step away feeling a bit unfulfilled with with his rugby and, and feeling 
may have got more out of it. But as you say, there probably is more to come from in the in the game. He's he's only twenty nine. He's already kind of started the coaching path with Gary Owen, and and there was a bit of chat actually that he was going to go into the Munster setup potentially when he retired. Um, it was interesting. I thought in the statement yesterday that Johan van Graan kind of wished him well for a bright future ahead. Um, and if he does move into coaching, he wished him well there. So it didn't really indicate that he'd be staying around in Munster. But by all accounts, a really shrewd, intelligent rugby brain, a guy who's been a, an influence for Munster, even when he's been out injured in those review meetings, questioning guys, making them think about the game a little bit differently. And he's definitely been an influence on other players around that environment, as well as being just massively well-liked, really respected. Himself and, and Anthony Foley had, I suppose, a connection because it was Foley who really wanted to get him over to Munster and who pushed that deal through. He had actually tried to sign him before on a, on a kind of short-term contract before actually permanently signing him over to Munster. So he, um, Blaindal actually connected with his family quite well and, and obviously around that really traumatic time, he was a, a kind of influential figure behind the scenes in, in keeping everyone together. So definitely grew a, a big attachment to Munster and as as you said, when we saw him, fit and firing he was he was excellent but um really tough to to walk away in in those circumstances yeah he was one of the those extremely inspirational figures during that incredibly difficult time for Munster that Glasgow game is the one I think that stands out in most people's memories um just the sheer sort of force of will uh as well as his ability that he displayed that day Bernard if you were advising him now as a guy who has retired um and granted, there might not actually be room in Munster's backroom staff for him with the way it's structured at the moment, but would it be something where you would recommend him broadening his horizon slightly, albeit he has played in New Zealand as well, but you know, cutting his teeth in a coaching role elsewhere before potentially returning down the line? Or could you see him transitioning directly into a, a role at Munster if it was available now? Yeah, listen, I think it, I don't really know um, him that well, but I, I would definitely say that anything I've heard about him um, has been incredibly positive and I think um, for sure his his ability to influence off the field um, was a factor in, in, in terms of Munster you know giving him so much time and, and you know being really patient with his injury profile and, and uh, you know he definitely has made a big impact he's look he's been in two unbelievable environments Crusaders and Munster um, so you know he probably knows what good looks like and knows um you know how to how to deal with 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 game plans and, and strategy and, and coaching uh, sessions and what it sh- what it should look like. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say you might have to go away. I think um, maybe in the current market, to be honest, um, you know probably your best chance of getting a job is is internally, where you know people really know you and 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 uh, can vouch for you as a, as a person. And um, obviously, I'd say he's had a big influence in terms of. You know, as a ten in Munster over the last, you know, five or six years in terms of influence and how they're going to play. So I think tactically he definitely, um, you know, is obviously very shrewd. It's just a case of where's the opportunity for him, and is that staying in Ireland for a while and, and working with you know Gary Owen or, or and maybe getting involved in some of the underage uh, stuff, rep stuff in Munster and just developing, or is there an opportunity for him to go to go somewhere else um, and and cut his cloth? Um, at a higher level in terms of working with, you know, more senior players, maybe not at, at the level of Munster is, but working with senior players in whatever league it is, MLR or, you know, um, or something like that. Um, I know some good coaches who are, who are in Hong Kong at the moment and, and, and getting great experience there working as across the sevens program and the fifteens program 
um, and there's a there's a real core group um, of professional coaches there who are um, you know getting the the opportunity to Brett Wilkinson is actually one of them, uh, the former Connor prop who are you know getting really good exposure and and um, you know getting to to work in in various competitions. So I think look at. Uh, there's no right or wrong answer in that. It's where the opportunity is, I suppose. And if if there was something close to, to home in Munster, um, you know, where he's currently at, and, and you know, he's getting some experience, he said with an AL club. Well, then that might be a, a really good, you know, really good opportunity for the next twelve months until things settle down a bit and and, and the game is in a is in a more solid and stable place. He did he did mention that in his kind of statement. He you know they they've had a son him and his. His wife, they've had a son, and there's another one on the way, I think, so maybe they are planning to stick around. I was interested, Bert, to just ask you, though, do you think there are certain personalities or characters who are maybe more suited to being the, the coach than the player? Because any time I've spoken to, even when I was in New Zealand a couple of years ago, speaking to people about Blaindal, it was always the rugby intellect they mentioned. I remember Jason Holland, who's uh, certainly got a lot of rugby intellect himself, he said Blaindal was one of the best rugby brains he'd come across, and, and the same in the school, Christchurch, boys high where he went they said look we've had loads of good out halves come through but he was about the smartest rugby brain do you think some people are actually better suited to being a coach than a player um yeah for sure i think there is and we've all we've all seen them or met them or interviewed them um and you, you get a sense that the coach or the playing career is only is only part of it and what they're going to do afterwards um is going to be probably more remarkable and and um there is guys who enjoy the game and enjoy understanding and even speaking to Ron Agarab or Richie Mwanga I think you know he was incredibly impressed by him and that he wouldn't have to actually you know show him what what should have happened or uh, where the space was that he straight away if he hadn't seen it in the game he knew about it you know um, he knew about it five seconds later and um, is able to problem solve and, and, and fix things on the run and that's, that's rare to be honest and I think that's what coaches and coaches are always trying to do is improve every player's ability to um, to see the game in a in a better way um, and and to be able to problem solve, but again, you know, in a in a group of forty players, there's probably only two or three that really have that deep desire to um, to study and understand the game and at the level that, that that coaches probably need to to be able to, I suppose, stay ahead of the curve. So um, again, the fact that he was touted as someone like that quite young. Uh, and and coming through like environments like he has, even in a school, you know, uh, that's produced a lot of, you know, phenomenal players. Um, you know, would would lead you to believe that he has he has the, the capacity and capability to uh, to go and, and and be an influential coach somewhere. He certainly has the communication skills as well as you alluded to earlier, Murray and Donegal Callan touched upon it on Game On on Two FM as well last night, but. You'd imagine as well from uh, a less ta- technical standpoint and even from a more mental standpoint, he's built up so much resilience really over the last four or five years, just even hanging in there and sustaining something resembling a career even when he wasn't on the, the pitch, like just to deal with so many setbacks. I remember a story that we talked about, I think, with Simon Zebo on a, at an event a while back where Munster took a bit of a tonking at home to Leinster. It was around December 2015, I believe it was. And Peter Romani was giving the entire team a dressing down, but sort of t- focused much of his ire on Zebo, his close friend, and then Blaindal, who um, maybe was still, you know, relatively new or settling into uh, to that environment. And by all accounts, Blaindal's sort of 
uh, wilted a little bit. I remember hearing from a couple of people that as much as he was a really good guy and a good player, they were sort of finding it difficult to compute how they could row in behind a guy if he was to be their starting 10 who um, who didn't look as though he was enjoying a, a typical Omani dressing down. But then you fast forward like <laughs> 10 months or so and the again, the, the sort of fortitude he showed um, in order to actually bring his game to a level where he was no longer worthy of any criticism really where he was actually when fit performing more consistently than most and to an incredibly high level you, you just like in terms of I suppose career guidance he'll have a lot to offer to younger players and players dealing with injury setbacks and the like yeah they're all great experiences as you mentioned and even getting a sense of what the monster environment demanded and some of the characters demanded from the out half uh, the tactical leader that'll be a good experience going through the shit times is good life experience no matter what your job is obviously um, and it can help you relate to people it can help you appreciate different things that little bit more so all of those things will, will factor in and i think we've kind of outlined a pretty nice cv for him he, he's got loads of roby knowledge built up good environments a, a range of different experiences being away from new zealand as well and and seeing european rugby so um he's well set in that regard but another interesting part of it all is is kind of the out half depth chart for Munster I suppose because ideally Joey Carberry's going to come back fully fit you would expect he'll be away in Ireland camps JJ Hanron obviously had a bit of a renaissance this season um, and looked really good looked happy looked confident did a lot of work on his mental skills so he looks in, in good nick to to be that that next in line but then you have Ben Healy Jack Crowley obviously we're, we're expecting him to come into the academy after a really impressive Ireland under 20 season and really shining in the in the AIL with Cork Con as well there's Jake Flannery, who's possibly going to end up as a, fi- a 15, but has played a lot of rugby at 10 as well. So you've got those three young guys there who will be really eyeing up uh, quite a few minutes. Healy obviously got a little bit of exposure this season, probably not as much as he might have hoped for with, with the injuries at out half. Um, but he's a real talent as well, a, a really excellent kicker of the ball, intelligent game managing. Um, Crowley, obviously, we've seen his ability to, to line break with the 20s. But again, has a, a confident streak and, and can boss a team around. Flannery is uh, that 10-15 playmaker who can maybe be the, se- the second set of hands a little bit further at the back line. So it's a really interesting little crop. And, and Rory Scannell obviously as well can cover 10 there as well in the event that um, there are a couple of injuries or you want a bit more experience potentially. Um, so there's a there's an interesting kind of battle in there behind, I suppose, Carberry and Hanron as those two senior out halves. So I'd hope to see some of those young guys really get a, a few um, a bit of exposure really now in, in bigger games and it would be excellent for Munster to push another one of their players through in that position Yeah there's a potentially an embarrassment of riches for Munster in that position Bernard and if we take for granted that Carberry if fit is going to be the almost a franchise player and that he's nearly guaranteed to start in major games and you take into consideration Hanron is 27 do you get the sense from speaking to people at Munster or any of your your sort of insider knowledge that there is one player in mind coming up behind them that Munster would foresee as being the heir to that throne or or sort of in the mix with, say, Carberry down the line? Or is it actually very much still up for grabs? Like, obviously, they're in very developmental uh, stages of their respective careers, Flannery, Crowley and Healy. Yeah, look, it's phenomenal to have three players of that... um, of that potential, you know, behind two experienced, uh, and as you said, one probably marquee player in Carberry, and then JJ's is, is still going to get better. He's only twenty seven, so um, you know, 
they're really rich in terms of their depth in, in that position. I don't know which of which will come true. Um, I think the great thing is if they could just get back, um, you know, doing some team training um, during the summer for for the three of those to have exposure to to Larkham and and to um, get a chance to, I suppose, show what they can do and, and learn from being that senior, senior environment. And that's sometimes the the biggest challenge. Someone who's more talented at under twenties level. Um, you know, maybe struggles to impose themselves in terms of their their character. You know, with with the senior internationals and British and Irish lines, um, and someone who maybe you know didn't have as much uh, obvious potential, just thrives in that environment and responds well to the the competition. So even if they did know um, who who was who was their third choice at the moment, that could change very quickly, um, and that's why it's always exciting to have you know three players like that who with obvious potential in the same position and, and you'd like to think that they'll all drive each other on to um, to become better and, and, and try and put pressure on JJ and, and, and Joey. Sticking with Munster then, Murray, the James Cronin case has essentially been closed uh, in that Sport Ireland won't appeal his one-month ban despite Dr. Una May, who is sort of head of ethics there, uh, describing it as quite lenient. Um, her... I guess her explanation for why they won't be taking it further is because it actually would have taken too long. The amount of time um, that the process would have cost them essentially would not be commensurate to the supplementary ban that they would have probably pursued uh, for Cronin. They were probably talking about a month or two uh, on top of the month that he actually received and it might have taken six or 12 months to even get that far. Uh, what was your uh, assessment of, of that situation and is it now, do you think, parked uh, and Munster and Cronin can move on for it from it for, for good? Probably not to the latter part of that. I mean, Dr. Una May, who came out and actually spoke to a lot of different media publications and explained it in detail because a lot of people were expecting appeal, but as she pointed out, like it does tarnish a player, it sticks on them, the People remember these things happening and that's the kind of final message that Sport Ireland certainly and I would imagine the RFU and Cronin himself to be fair he's highlighted as well is that athletes need to be really really careful and really double check absolutely everything that is going in their system because as demanding as it may be they're the ones who are responsible for for absolutely everything they ingest and and if that's a, a banned substance then they're the one who has to uh, pay the price with even if it's just a one month ban but but that ban and also the the reputational damage as Unamay described it um, the Sport Ireland have asked the RFU for a meeting with themselves the RFU and Munster Rugby that I don't think is in place yet but you would hope that that happens soon and that everything is just a little bit more tightened up potentially after this that you know obviously Munster Rugby and RFU have their procedures and, and Unamay did mention that they have a really good relationship with the RFU that they believe the RFU are doing their best to to try and catch anyone who's cheating and using banned substances. But it can always be better. It can always be that little bit more um, systematic in, in how people go about making sure that they're within regulations, making sure that every single thing that goes in their system in terms of medication is okayed and is definitely part of their prescription. Like, just in terms of Cronin... Dr. May did describe it as a really comprehensive, extensive file with lots of evidence in it. So they they felt it was really clear that there wasn't going to be 
a, a big increase in any ban, as you say, a month or two on top of it. It would have taken a year probably to get through the the court of arbitration for sport because they're not even hearing um, cases at the moment. So it would have been really extensive, drawn out procedure and, and they felt it wasn't worth it um, in the end. But yeah, there's definitely lessons there. Um, Cronin, to be fair to him, has put his hand up and said, like, I'll, I'll happily link up with Rugby Players Ireland or whoever it is to speak to my peers, my fellow players um, and help them avoid what's happened in this case. And and that has to be the the positive thing that comes out of this is that it's a reminder to everyone, every young lad who's coming through, that they have to be really, really squeaky clean um, and that they're the ones who are the role models and setting an example. So if that's a positive out of it, then that, that's a good thing. Yeah, the, the, one of the things said about it, I suppose, Bernard, is that there will be lessons taken from it. And I'm not sure about that. Like, I think Cronin obviously volunteering to consult with other players and things like that is uh, an offer he's making with the best intentions. It, it's a nice soundbite, but like, I, I don't know how much it is um, a lesson that most players need to learn. I, I think at this point in professional sport, every professional athlete is aware that they need to be absolutely microscopically careful with what they consume and i also don't foresee this specific case being an issue again like the chances of it happening in general society are infinitesimally minute the chances of it happening to a professional rugby player fractionally more so again so i wonder would would cronin be better suited actually nearly trying to draw a line under it and moving on rather than perpetuating perhaps the the reputational damage by having it sort of follow him around as a label if you know what i mean yeah, I, I suppose from a from a personal point of view, obviously he's probably been deeply affected by it. So, um, you know, he's he's made that commitment that you know he's happy to work with the with the players' union, and and um, it might be you know just something he feels is is a good way of actually helping him get on with it. I mean, everyone knows about it now, and um, you know maybe by actually doing some workshops uh, for the for the players might might be help to the players, but it might be help to him. And I, I agree with you; the chances of it happening again are obviously. Um, ridiculously um, uh, low, but uh, it, you know there may be just something in terms of procedure that the IRFU or professional teams across the world can can now look at putting into their into their protocols where you know before the player takes a prescription drug that he, he takes a photograph and, and and sends a message to the doctor. I don't know. I mean, it sounds it sounds ridiculously anal, but um, yeah, it, it's just such a. It's such a bizarre case, and, and and you know the odds of it happening, as you said, are um, are incredibly uh, unlikely. But I suppose that's probably the only thing they can look at again um, from from trying to stop it ever happening again is that the players don't. In case there's an error, obviously this is the wrong description prescription. But in case there was an error in terms of the wrong drugs being given to the right person, um, maybe it's a case of you don't take it, ingest it before, you know, confirming with the with the doctor. Um, but uh, from the point of view of him giving workshops, you know, I, 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 and I, I know you say he might want to move on, but the realistic, realistically, it's going to be, it's probably going to be part of his his reputation in rugby for for a while, and, and maybe for him, and you know, by giving something, by trying to educate others, it helps him deal with it, and, and hopefully helps, I suppose, players be be more careful. And look, it's not even just the whole. The chance of this happening again—it's—it's it's again retouching on the importance of of um, you know supplementation you're taking, being batch tested, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, 
it's uh, it's never any harm to, I suppose, to keep topping up on on education because um, I think, unfortunately, some some players or athletes can can slip a little bit and and become careless and and when they do, obviously, the consequences are are, are normally very very um, severe. Do you see it as being a wake up call for the four provinces, Murray, or for teams around the world, or is this just very much an outlier, uh, a freak incident, an unlikely? incident that um, mightn't necessarily actually bring radical procedural change or anything uh, it'll just sort of come to pass as such and the other provinces and uh, and other teams will continue to be meticulous in their approaches to things like this yeah I mean the circumstances as described and as accepted by the independent judicial officer are a freak but that doesn't mean that like that doesn't mean that something shouldn't change and Birch's suggestion there like that's a simple thing to do but it, it seems so simple it seemed and I, as you said I thought why don't they why weren't they doing that or why wasn't the doctor describing clearly to James Cronin exactly what he was going to collect at the pharmacy that might take a minute but it's a simple little measure a simple process and we talked like, there's so much of that in rugby around how they play the game but this off the pitch stuff is just as important um and there's definitely simple measures or straightforward measures that they can take, I think, in all the provinces in Irish rugby, just to solidify that um, and make it that little bit tighter in, in terms of players' awareness um, and doctors' interaction with players to make them aware of exactly what is uh, going to be going into their system because it, it matters. And incidents like this as well, just like, you know, a few if they want to grow the game, something like this does not help to the the punter on the outside who probably isn't going to read that report from the judicial officer and understand all the circumstances they're just going to see the the headline or the the first two lines of the story and, and make up their mind based on that so um definitely the sport needs to be really really tight on this as does every other sport and yeah it certainly is freakish rare circumstances but that doesn't mean i don't think that you can't um, improve what you do because of that you'd have to think that Munster uh, specifically will need to be incredibly careful now uh, around this when you consider the go uh, the Grobler thing like this is the third time essentially it's happened in a fairly long space of time granted but it's just not something that you want to linger around your club yeah I, you don't I, to, to be fair the Grobler one is different he was yeah it's 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 a bad image around the the game and it certainly was and and when that blew up was it last season it seems like long ago now but it definitely wasn't good for the image of Munster or of Irish rugby at all um and certainly the fewer these instances you can have the the better obviously we want the sport to be really proactive in in um in the anti-doping sphere and in catching anyone who is intentionally taking substances or is accidentally unintentionally doing it as well and, and needs to be reprimanded on that uh, as in the case of, of Cronin but it, it doesn't help the image of the province as they're trying to grow um, in terms of their fan base or of Irish rugby in general so it, it definitely for me has to be a, a lesson Another departure then from the Irish rugby scene as well as Tyler Blaindal is Robin Copeland who's heading down to France Murray good opportunity for him yeah, I think so. Well, Burn will probably give, give us a, a better idea of what he can expect over there. He, I chatted to him during the week there. He was close to retiring, actually, um, and he hadn't. He had kind of considered what he would do after rugby. He was talking about 
maybe quantity surveying or construction management, thinking of what was next. Um, and then just last Friday, actually, he got a call from Soyo Angoulem in the Pro D2. Uh, his former Rotherham coach, Andre Bester, is the forwards coach there now. So that's the link. And yeah, he ended up with a, a two plus one contract. So two years and a, an optional third that either he or the club can opt out of. He's 32 now, so obviously a, a, a decent deal for a player of his age. And um, he's very excited about the prospect of getting down there uh, and playing with with the style of rugby they have in France and enjoying the lifestyle there as well. Like, what a cool place to go and finish your career. But Bernie, you'd probably be able to give us a better insight into what maybe he can expect on the pitch, off the pitch in, in Angoulême. Yeah, look, it's a very tough um, It's a very tough league. So why Angoulême... Um, they were Federal one about uh, until about two or three or four years ago. I actually did my um, my coaching license with the with the head coach there, and I also know um, Andre Bester pretty well. Um, he used to coach up in Balamina, um, and then he was in in Rotherham, and recently he's been in Oriac, um, and he's he's famous for building a. Uh, a phenomenal scrum. I think when Rotherham were in the championship, they scored something like 41 pushover tries. And uh, uh, same at Oriac. He spends hours and hours live scrummaging. And um, he's from a wrestling background. So his packs, <laughs> his packs tend to, tend to uh, do a lot more live scrummaging and a lot more contact work than the normal uh, teams would. But he does he does create success. Um, it's, a, it's a town I was... Uh, I remember when I was doing my pro license, uh, there was a real project there in terms of getting out of Federal 1, which is really difficult to get out of. And um, I don't think they have ambitions to be a, a top 14 club, but to be a, a, a very good Pro D2 club. Um, the Pro, Pro D2, uh, the calendar is a little bit different than the, the normal calendars that, that or fixture list that we, we'd be used to in Pro 14 or or in the uh, Gallagher Premiership. Generally, you know, we'll see what happens post-COVID, but... Um, it used to be five weeks on um, and a mandatory week off. Uh, so you'd play five weeks in a row and sometimes it was four weeks in a row. And then everybody, uh, Proval, which is the players' union, uh, negotiated this and, and uh, they would not just have a weekend off from playing, they'd have a whole week off. Um, and that was the attraction for a lot of top 14 players at the end of their careers was to drop down to Pro D2. And, you know, particularly if you were a, a Kiwi and you hadn't really kind of travelled Europe um, much, um, whether you were playing top 14 or um, in a previous career, that they would actually say, well, look, there's six weeks of the year now where we're going to get a chance to, to holiday in season and, and um, you know, book your flights nice and early with EasyJet and, and, you know, be gone to different parts of Europe or, or, or Northern Africa, Morocco, etc. So there's a definite feel to that. Um, it's less intense for sure. Um, and uh, I would say it's it, the programme would be, you know, it wouldn't be highly professional in terms of everyone's professional, but the the actual training load and and the intensity and the the need to be on time and and uh, ready to go at, at, uh, would be a lot uh, lighter than what he'd be used to in Connacht and um, you know and and Munster. So for sure, he's he's a, he's a top man. He you know he enjoys himself. He's a very talented player and. Um, you know his highlight video will be phenomenal. You know, um, even uh, like obviously Andre knew him, but um, uh, it's not a surprise to me that uh, you know French clubs, particularly Pro D two clubs, wouldn't be um, keen on, on on signing him because I think he could be a he could be an X factor player for them and and help them you know win games next year. And uh, the fact that he got a two plus one gives him a little bit of security and 
he can go and, and finish, um, you know, what's been a great career, really, in terms of what he's done in, in Ireland and the UK. Obviously, with Cardiff Blues, he was a big success as well. And uh, go on and have a really enjoyable, but uh, on and off the field, uh, finishes to the career. Yeah, definitely. He um, He's a, an interesting character, probably a bit different some of the guys in the, in the pro game. Uh, when I was talking to him actually the other day during the interview, he was chasing some chickens around the garden. So it was a, an interesting chat. But uh, he's uh, he mentioned that Bester kind of knows how to get the best out of him. Um, he, he said in Rotherham, he just knew how to motivate him, how to keep him happy. And um, I, I think it's a, it's going to be a good fit that way. It has been a really fascinating career, hasn't it? You, you mentioned the Cardiff Blues thing there. He was phenomenal um, in that season, particularly before he came back. I remember him standing out in the Champions Cup, playing really well against Toulon superb in the in the pro 12 and obviously came onto joe schmidt's radar and, and was in ireland's squads and camps even before he moved back actually came back to munster and he got had a really unfortunately time shoulder injury that christmas just after he'd made his debut in the november tests and and speaking to him the other day you could sense that bit of regret and frustration that the injury hit at that time he said he does think back sometimes to whether he should have left cardiff because again everything was really well set up for him there the style of play suited him brilliantly and though he really enjoyed his, his six years in Ireland with Munster and then and then Connacht, there were injuries and, and maybe non-selections at different times and we didn't quite get to see the, the very best of him. So fingers crossed he can, he can go over to France, really enjoy it, embrace that. Maybe that more relaxing pro, approach might suit him um, and show what he can do because when he is on the ball and up and running, he's pretty hard to stop. Yeah, more power to him. I think it's going to be a great experience for him as he reaches the twilight years of his playing career and uh, you get the impression from Robin Copeland he's a guy who's only really getting started in, in general life so uh, good move for him um, down in Australia shit has hit the fan well and truly Murray you did a great <laughs> job with Owen Toulon a couple of weeks ago discussing uh, the ramshackle affairs of uh, everything to do with the Wallabies really and, and rugby union in the country but we've got three players now from the Reds who have been suspended for rejecting a decrease in their wages so Isaac Rada the 21 cap Wallaby another Isaac Isaac Lucas and then Harry Hawkins all rejected the deal that would see the professional rugby union players in Australia take a 60% pay cut over six months uh, which would have helped the game avoid insolvency essentially like the agreement had already been reached this is after about three weeks of discussions between all of the stakeholders so rugby australia the four super rugby teams and the rugby union players association and the minimum earnings were players were going to be set to the same as australia's emergency government entitlement so 1500 aussie dollars which works out at about 900 euro but that's per fortnight um that's a really tricky situation for everyone involved isn't it oh like aussie rugby it just seems to be a constant shitstorm of drama of disagreement of tension and, and this is just the latest chapter in it and even beyond being a bit flippant about it like it's such a worrying time for the sport down there and, and as you mentioned those cuts have been widespread even to staff and beyond the players they've all been put on to un, a lot of them have been put on to unpaid leave so really worrying time it's a really complex case to, to be fair lots of really good reporting being done I'm, I'm reading the sydney morning herald and loads of good insight into what's actually going on behind the scenes it seems to be maybe a bit more about more than just the the 
salary cut. Um, obviously, the players are getting quite a bit of backlash, and I think other players are frustrated with them because it was felt that everyone had made that agreement to take the short-term hit to ensure to try and ensure that Aussie rugby comes out the other side and that everyone still has jobs. Hopefully, when things pick back up in in the global rugby market, that makes sense, and and it would have made sense to all the players in agreeing that really hefty cut. Um, but these guys maybe have kind of broken ranks now, and um, and you can understand frustration from everyone else who who agreed to that sixty percent deal, or rather, the players' association did it on their behalf. But it's kind of emerging now that Rada has had a bit of a clash, it seems, with Brad Thorne, and the relationship maybe wasn't great there. Um, he may even end up at the Brumbies because Scott Johnson, the director of rugby, um, performance director role in in Aussie rugby, is is kind of stepping in now to try and get it all sorted out and and keep those players there, but. I mean, you look at it, say, from Isaac Rada's point of view, last November, I think it was, he signed a four-year contract through to the next World Cup worth around 400k euros. A really good contract. And then only months later, he probably has to look at a really big, hefty pay cut, but also worry about what's further down the line. Um, Because even with the World Rugby loans, etc., Aussie Rugby is still in really, really big trouble financially and some players are probably wondering is it a, is it a better time to try and get out now and and look look at what else is out there um but it is a really messy situation um and you, you, it's hard to see how it's going to uh, be remedied with, remedied with them coming back into the reds environment where all their other teammates have have accepted this cut um i don't know bernard if you were a head coach this would be a really tricky one to to manage it yeah absolute nightmare because um especially someone like brad Thorne who who is all about the team and, and he's been really, really strict in terms of his, you know, recruitment retention around getting, you know, a group of a playing squad that he felt were really committed to the big picture um, and having, I suppose, you know, some players within that break rank as such and, and um, go against the grain because, you know, it undermines the whole thing. And, and we had a bit of, I have a bit of life or real life experience of this in, in, in Grenoble Um when we had financial difficulties and, and you know we asked the players to take a pay cut, um, the general consensus was they didn't want to take it and then the president uh, made it optional um, on the condition that... And the players had to go in and sign a form um, to say they could take 10% out of their wages um, on the condition it was, it was confidential. But within about three weeks, the people who had signed up to it, um, unfortunately, it, it got leaked and um, it caused uh, chaos because there were certain players who, who apparently had told others that they were signed up to it and they weren't, and it just, um, it just basically poisoned the whole dressing room. And, and, and while this is more transparent um, in that the lads are out there you know, publicly saying they're, not, you know, they're, they're, they're executing the break clause or they refuse to sign up for it, um, it still will be a very difficult one to get right um, for, for the head coach, Brad Thorne, because obviously... You know the players who have signed up to it will be hurting as well, and, and it just really could cause uh, disharmony and, and, and instability. And um, you know, I think there's a big, big question mark I think publicly around you know the players' agents in this. It's, it's Anthony Piconi, um, who's had a high profile, um, I suppose, high profile difficult relationship with ARU and some of the Super Rugby franchises in terms of players he's managed in the past. And uh, yeah, it, it's really tricky. And it's not just you know we concentrate on, on Australia, but you know, South Africa have gone through a little bit of this as well, and it was interesting. You know, Peter Steff the Toy, the World Player of the Year, he withdrew um, uh, his from from the Stormers because he had refused to take uh, the pay cut, and that actually 
opened him up to be a free agent and, and could look elsewhere. But they've managed to tie him down, and now he's he's gone back in under the um, uh, uh, under the pay cuts. But again, you know, who's to know what deal was done outside of officially to to keep him keep him on side? But from an Australian point of view, I read it. Scott Johnson, the high performance manager, this morning um, is saying that you know they the world rugby need to look at transfer fees, um, mm. and that maybe is a way that Australian rugby can. Can get some funds um, back into the uh, into the into the revenue stream because they have had a you know high percentage of players leaving um, over over the years and and effectively his argument is if they develop the players um, they should be entitled to some kind of uh, payback from the club or, or or union who signed them and uh, um, that could be could be interesting I mean look it look it looks like they don't have the revenue. Um, coming into the game uh, to actually be able to keep their best players or or pay the wages to compete. So if they are going to be very good at developing players, well then, you know, it makes sense that um, they capitalise on that and hopefully that can help fund um, the game and keep Australia, you know, really competitive. But it's, uh, it's a tricky one. It's going to be a tricky one to manage post-border or cross-border. I mean, in France, um, certain clubs, they, they actually uh, budget for selling players on and, and in France if you sell if you sell a player if a player leaves you before the age of 23 to another club um, you will get a, an a indemnity um, based on how many years he's been in your academy and um, how many games he's played for your first team so um, if you look at Grenoble for example uh, a lot of the good young talent have been snapped up by by Racing and Leon etc and, and while that's difficult for Grenoble um, it does give them a, a, a source of income, um, which you know can be ploughed back into the into the rugby infrastructure. But that's internal. That's a top fourteen pro pro D two um, rule, and um, I just think it's going to be incredibly difficult to manage that cross border. Yeah, there's going to be, I would imagine, very little sympathy for these three Aussie guys. To be fair, I mean, everyone in the world is going through economic difficulty so I'm, I'm sure there's not people clamoring to to congratulate them for their move the South African thing is really interesting I think because like Razi Erasmus obviously came back and said we're going to pick players who are based abroad as you said Bert, Birch they had a 21 day window recently to go and get an offer elsewhere if they if they could get it and, and break their contracts but like the vast vast majority and all the top players certainly are, are still there and have recommitted even with the salary cuts so even with the pairs based abroad, South Africa have probably shown that you can you can maybe overcome that hurdle a little bit little bit if you if you get a really good um environment in place for for the box. Like Rasmus obviously absolutely nailed it in terms of organizing it, get everyone working in the same direction, uh, believing in what they were going to do, and maybe Aussies the Aussie rugby union will look at that and say, okay, we can maybe afford to have a couple more guys abroad, or even the Gitto law maybe. Yeah, kind of come down in terms of the number of caps guys need to have or or a couple of measures they might look at but it certainly looks like financially they can't afford to keep all these guys and certainly on the deals they're on and then you also have the like I know Bernard you're excited about NRL coming back but I, you can imagine the NRL clubs looking at some of those young guys now even a Jordan Patea who's an absolute uh, specimen and, and probably brilliant at league as well you can see them kind of circling around as well potentially so it's a really difficult time for, for Aussie rugby and you got to feel sorry for Dave Rennie um, I oh. mean Razzy you know Razzy was in situ he's won a World Cup you know um, he's he's been able to I suppose um, 
work with Saru in terms of you know changing the rules to a certain extent. I don't know if you remember, but um, he basically got permission to change the rules around uh, quota system for for the World Cup just gone uh, in return for hitting different numbers in 2023. Um, the Bulls have the Bulls have new backing. Um, you know the Rupert family who were involved in Saracens have now taken over the Bulls. Jake White's gone back there, so they they suddenly have you know resource to to keep the best players. The the Sharks were having a very good start to Super Rugby, and they have the World Cup. Um, whereas when you look at Australia, uh, it's just there's not really anything in their favour at the moment. And um, and Dave Rennie, Dave Rennie coming in there who's a phenomenal coach has put together a you know a, a very good coaching team and good people around them. Um, but he must be just looking at this kind of wondering, you know, where it's all going to fall and and how it's going to affect his his ability to, you know, to bring success to the to the Wallaby jersey. Very briefly, Murray, how has it gotten to this point for Australia? All we're hearing now really is that rugby union is in the absolute depths of despair. And when you look at the finances involved, particularly the potential sums they could lose during this pandemic, it makes sense that they will probably bleed more players, etc. But just in terms of its the sports standing in that country, when you think back to the success that they've had at, in World Cups um, around the turn of the millennium and whatnot, uh, how has it slipped so far behind league, cricket, etc.? Was that gap always this sizable or is this has it widened quite recently? Yeah, it's probably widened because the Wallabies aren't winning as often and people got sick of watching the All Blacks give them uh, a good beating over the years and the Super Rugby team's obviously struggling anytime they went away there was a really bad record there at one stage when the competition is so strong in Australia and it is ludicrous anyone who's been down there will know it um, and it's worth listening to the podcast we did the members podcast with Owen Toolan because he went into really good detail on it but even when I went down to Melbourne during Ireland's tour there in 2018 and, and met Owen uh, at the Rebels like you look across the road there's the AFL stadium there was a big tennis uh, arena there there's the rugby league club in the in the same facility. There's all sorts of different draws uh, for players and for fans. Um, for, first and foremost, we went to watch the AFL, and there were hundred thousand people there for a local derby and brilliant entertainment. Um, and a couple of guys in that pipeline who probably would have been really good rugby players and and had played a bit of union or even league when they were younger. So there's massive, massive competition. Obviously, we have that in Ireland because we have the the GAA, but. Um, it's even more severe and, and ferocious over there, particularly financially as well, because obviously it's not like it's a huge country in terms of the, the actual size of, it, but not a massive population compared to some of the other markets. Um, and so if you're not winning, if you're not being successful on the pitch, then people have someone else they can turn to to, to watch winning. And, and that's definitely been a, a big part of it. Mm, the fact that they're indigenous sport is a professional sport as well is just another avenue, isn't it? Where yeah. it's it's a little bit more difficult to make the case for them to uh, to leave it and play a pro sport as you can do here. Um, as Murray says, you can catch that chat with Owen Toolan. It's a rugby weekly extra that was went out to the forty two members two three weeks ago now. Great listen, and I won't reel off all of the features available to the forty two members this week because I'm aware you'll probably have skipped on to the next podcast before I've had a chance to even catch my breath. But I will say, make sure you check out this week's behind the lines episode with Gav Cooney whose guest is Sam Smith, author of the revelatory Jordan Rules book, who features prominently in The Last Dance, and is, I believe, vindicated some 30 years on in his putting pen to paper on some of MJ's arseholery. Uh, that's a fascinating postscript of the documentary, if you've seen it. Murray and Bernard, thanks a million, as always. Thanks, Gav. Thank you. 
we will be back with a Rugby Weekly, weekly Extra for members on Monday. Members at the 42.e, 5 euro a month or 42 euro for a year. And we'll be back as well on Thursday for the rest of you. So until then, take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass.